Hello and welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm Craig DL. I'm the Head of Policy and Research at Commonweal. And this week, my guest is Tim Rideau, a previous guest on the podcast, but one who's been recently described in, described in the mainstream media as a controversial economist. Tim was previously on episode 71 of the podcast talking about currency in, in an independent Scotland, and he's been very busy since then uh, campaigning on this matter. Hello, Tim. How are you? Hi, Craig. Thanks for asking me on again. Really good to speak to you again, especially as you've been quite busy. Uh, so this uh, this weekend past, um, you were at the SNP conference with uh, a, a motion calling for work to begin on setting up a Scottish central bank, and it um, uh, passed with overwhelmingly uh, in the end. Uh, yes, I think it was something like 90% in favour, so mm. sort of fairly unanimous insofar as these things go. Congratulations. Um, so we're going to talk about that motion a little bit later in the show, uh, but I wanted to try and give folk kind of a story so far. How how, how has has your campaigning on currency and an independent Scotland led up to this point? Um, I personally first became aware of you back in 2016, 2017, um, as a result of Commonweal's own work on currency in an, in an independent Scotland. There was a series of papers by myself and... Um, by economist Peter Ryan, um, talking about the, the technical aspects of setting up a currency. And this uh, led you to get in touch with us, and we, we, we sparked a conversation from there. Um, but it was really probably 2018 when the Growth Commission uh, published their report. Um, and somewhat surprisingly to some, uh, came out with the the idea that an independent Scotland would not have its own currency, at least initially. Tim, can you tell us just, I know we've, the, the folk who have listened to the podcast, um, especially since the start, will we'll have heard the story before, but can you tell us a little bit about the, the Growth Commission's plans as you understood them and your reaction to them when, when they came out with that in 2018? Yeah, well, what we're talking about uh, was um, Section C of the Growth Commission. Uh, and basically that suggests that um, uh, we could be using sterling for 10 to 15 years after independence. Um, it set out uh, six tests uh, that we would have to meet before we could move to our own currency. And it sort of envisaged that um, in order to have our currency, we'd have to sort of open up a piggy bank and pay in uh, savings every year to build up reserves uh, in order to then uh, have uh, foreign reserves to back the uh, the currency when we eventually got to that point. Um, I think, I, I don't know who um, actually came up with the uh, Section C, uh, but uh, you know, I took one look at it and thought the whole thing was complete nonsense. Um, you know, the, the idea that uh, you have to sort of accumulate reserves in a piggy bank uh, before you can start a currency is just nonsense. And it's, it's, it's impossible to achieve because the Scottish government, you know, if they were try, going to try to do that, they'd have to run a surplus every year. Uh, you know, they've got their, that would be austerity on steroids. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we did that for, for a decade, everyone would be begging to be readmitted to the UK, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember at the time when I, when I looked at the six tests, I ran down them and... and spotted several of them which are considered to be impossible or nearly impossible to, to achieve. Um, one of the other ones being evidence that the Scottish economy was diverging from the UK economy, but 
the whole point about sterilisation was to keep the Scottish economy quite closely pinned to the UK economy. So it was almost like it was setting up these tests as as a barrier to prevent a Scottish a Scottish currency rather than a, a, a marker to meet before we launch one. Um, yeah, I think they're in the same vein as Gordon Brown's tests about whether we should adopt the euro. Hmm. So the, the, the Growth Commission eventually did come to the, the SNP conference floor in 2019 with uh, a very expansive motion adopting essentially the entire report wholesale, but the debate around it really focused in on this currency uh, section, especially with your involvement uh, creating an amendment to that uh, to that motion. Can you tell us, just, I know you talked about this last time you were on the show, but can you tell us a little bit about that story, about, um, about how you managed to win that yeah, vote? It's a, it's a bit ironic that um, one of the reasons National Secretary gave for take it out two thirds of the recent um, central bank resolution was that it was too long and detailed. And yet the, <laughs> the adoption of the Growth Commission uh, in April 2019 uh, runs to four pages in the conference handbook uh, and something like 33 clauses. Uh, <laughs> but as you say, the, the one that the bit that uh, everyone narrowed in on was the currency at the sort of final half dozen clauses. Um, and um, there were various people who tried to put in amendments. George Keravan had one, uh, and um, I, well, Dalkeith Branch, we put in one. Um, we had a similar fate that because I think I tried to change all the clauses, and only one uh, of my suggested changes got onto the conference agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the one which um, uh, changed the implementation and basically said that uh, the policy of the SNP should be that we should start the preparations for the new currency as you know the day after the vote for independence with the aim of introducing the new currency as soon as practicable after Independence Day. Uh, And that effectively uh, sort of cut the whole rug from underneath the Growth Commission by uh, rendering the six tests to be purely advisory uh, and removed any mechanism for um, actually testing whether anything had been met or not met. And that didn't stop uh, the the SNP leadership uh, still, still still clinging to those tests. I remember Nicola Sturgeon herself, minutes after the vote, tweeting out publicly that say uh, saying that she she welcomed the results of this vote, but essentially um, reinterpreted the phrase as soon as practicable to to mean when the six tests are met. Do you agree with that, or or how soon, in your view, is is as soon as practicable? Yeah, well, uh, Andrew Wilson was the same because he was on the BBC the next morning saying it changed nothing. But in reality, it changed everything. Um, and I, I deliberately put as soon as practicable uh, into the amendment uh, precisely to avoid having any sort of fixed date. So I didn't want to say, you know, the, ne- you know, the first day or two weeks or three months or whatever, since, uh, you know, politicians always need a little bit of wriggle room. Um, yeah. But as soon as practicable to me and you know, everyone else except the SNP leadership, is a couple of months. So can you take us through, in your view, the, the, the process that, that Scotland would go through? We've just voted for independence. We've decided that we, we want this currency as, um, as soon as practicable after Independence Day. Um, take us through the process. How do we form a new currency? Well, the first step is uh, to get the central bank uh, uh, authorised and start building it. Um, 
and that's mostly technical uh, aspects such as uh, you know ordering the IT systems that will be required uh, both within the bank and also for a Scottish payments uh, system. Um, getting a, a, some premises for the bank, uh, starting to employ staff. Um, the estimate we've got in our plans is that uh, by the end of three years or so, the central bank would be employing about 800 people, hmm. um, which would be a little bit smaller than the Irish central bank, but not very much. And um, uh, it would, uh, and not least, there's the issue of uh, commissioning banknotes and coins. And you know, from my research is the, the banknotes and coins are the most time consuming aspect because it take about a year uh, to, to go from you know, uh, appointing a, a printer and manufacturer through to actually having them in your hand. Uh, so uh, you would then get to the stage where, uh, you know, if there's a two and a half year transition period between um, vote and Independence Day, then you just about get to the point where you'd be, the central bank would be ready to introduce the currency into circulation uh, a couple of months after Independence Day. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you see the, 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 the size of the central bank there, sort of similar to the Irish bank. And I, I remember in 2017, I, I did a study of um, central banking actually around the world, uh, not just in, in Europe. And came up with roughly the same size. Uh, central banks do tend to scale quite linearly with the size of your country, um, albeit a little bit of wiggle room here and there, depending on actually how much you want your central bank to do. Do you want it more involved with financial regulations, for instance? Yes. A lot of uh, the, the, you know, the basic functions of central bank are actually very simple and uh, don't require many staff or uh, resources. It's, uh, you know, I think the a typical central bank is probably talking in terms of a few thousand accounts that they manage, uh, you know, compared to, say, the Royal Bank, which has millions of accounts. Um, basically, they have to just be able to uh, debit and credit the government's accounts and the reserve accounts of the commercial banks. Everything else is sort of um, to do with um, monitoring the economy. Uh, a large part of what the Scottish Reserve Bank would do is statistical analysis of things like uh, credit card transactions, mortgage applications, uh, money flows in the foreign exchange market, things like that, which requires a large statistical function. Um, it's also got a regulatory uh, aspect of the macro potential regulation of the banking community and showing liquidity uh, on all those sorts of things. So that's where most of the, the, the staff and the effort is going. It's not in actually managing a bank account. So how does this compare to the, the Growth Commission plan? Um, because they, as we said, they, they want Scotland to sterilise and unilaterally use the pound, but they have also suggested to setting up a, some kind of monetary institute um, to, to, to do some of the functions of, um, of managing this. What, what's what's the, the, the difference in practical terms between a full central bank and uh, the, this more limited um, well, the growth, growth Commission says that they, got, they would set up a central bank, but without a currency, it's not really a central bank. It's a sort of um, uh, it's in the same position as a commercial bank. So, um, you know, a, a Scottish Reserve Bank without a Scottish pound um, would just be like uh, one of the you know Tesco Bank or one of the existing commercial banks. The it doesn't have the ability to uh, to create money. It's not a lender of last resort. Um, you know, if you were the if you were the the risk manager at the Royal Bank, 
and uh, you have to keep your the bank's money. So that's you know the the actual cash that the bank has rather than the customers. You know, if your choice is between keeping it in a reserve account at the Bank of England or putting it into a reserve account at the Scottish Reserve Bank when the Scottish Reserve Bank has no lend of last resort ability, uh, it's just like a normal commercial bank. Well, you wouldn't do that. You'd keep it at the Bank of England. And so I don't quite know what a supposed central bank without its own currency would do. You know, it's, it, as I say, it's in the same position as commercial bank. It, it, it can go bankrupt. Uh, because uh, people, you know, if the banks take their money out, then it's a bit stuffed. Uh, so it's a sort of, I don't know, hard, sort of pretend central bank that nobody's really going to use. Are there any other precedents in the uh, in the developed world for the for this growth commission plan? Um, not really. I think the the sort of example that people would probably hold up is maybe Panama. Uh, which uses the U.S. dollar largely for historical reasons, because it was the, uh, you know, it was the Panama Canal zone, and until the Americans gave it back to, uh, to Panama. Uh, so mm. for that reason, it, it, you know, it, it had a, a century of um, using the the U.S. dollar because effectively it was most of it was part of uh, the U.S. Um, but I don't think Panama is really equivalent at all because um, uh, they do manage to use the U.S. dollar. Uh, you know, if you go, I haven't ever been to Panama, but if you go there, then that, that is the currency that people have in their wallets. But you know, if you look into Panama, uh, 90% of transactions in the Panama economy are apparently in cash. So US dollar banknotes and coins. Uh, most people who live in Panama apparently don't have any online banking or digital payment facilities. Most of them don't have a bank account. Uh, so you know, it's not at all the same as Scotland. There's no if you're just using notes and coins, then obviously any country could use any notes and coins if they can just get enough of them. Uh, but that's not at all the same as a situation like Scotland, where something like 96%, 97% of all transactions are digital. One one question that uh, I, I know you've, you've answered in a couple of interviews um, elsewhere this week, and one that has been levelled at Andrew Wilson and the Growth Commission several times, but has not been answered from, from, from that side. What are the implications of sterilisation and joining the EU if an independent Scotland chooses or, or wishes to do so? I believe the, the European Union's rules are absolutely clear that uh, uh, a pre-qualification for being able to apply to join is that you have your own currency in central bank. So uh, if, if we're sitting there using sterling, which is now the, uh, the currency of a country which has made itself rather persona non grata in Europe, uh, then I think, you know, they're just going to say, no, you know, once you've got your own currency in central bank and so forth, then come back and we'll wel welcome your application, but not until then. Yeah, I, I do know that there, there is the case of Montenegro, which uh, is in a relatively similar situation, being a, a Euroized country, it unilaterally uses the euro um, and has been trying to join the EU. And this has been one of the, the major sticking points. And it is using the currency of the political union it wants to join, not the currency of a country that has just left the EU under, let's say, less than friendly terms. I'm not sure with Montenegro. I think um, uh, it's not someone I'm totally familiar with, but I suspect that they're a little bit like Panama, that it's quite easy to just, you know, um, get import enough euro banknotes and coins to make the economy work you know whether whether they're some way connect, connected up to the eurozone payments system i don't know 
you have to look into that. I suspect I suspect it's a very cash-based economy. I well note that their lack of monetary powers effectively precluded them from doing much in the way of, of COVID spending the way the UK has and many other countries have. In fact, they had to go to the IMF for a loan to, to pay for their, uh, their, their COVID policies. Is that a danger that Scotland could face, do you think? Uh, well, if under sterlingisation, the um, uh, the Scottish government would be in a permanent financial crisis because it will have a deficit. You know, we're, you know the, the, the Growth Commission somehow imagines that we're going to get to a position where we have a surplus and then therefore be saving up, but that's not going to happen. Uh, so if it has a deficit that, and it's not a monetary sovereign, then it has to borrow that deficit from uh, the international market. Um, and that would mean the Scottish government would always be going off to London to try to persuade uh, people to lend it the money to cover the budget deficit each year. Um, and, you know, those people would be saying, all right, well, you need money. Well, you know, not sure about the risks of Scotland, but so let's say 5% when the UK is paying 1%. Um, so, you know, A, we're going cap in hand all the time trying to get more money. B, we're paying a lot of money, you know, a lot of interest on it. Um, if somebody says, no, well, we, we don't want to finance you this year, then the government would have to do emergency budget cuts. Um, and uh, we've, got to, we've got to repay all this, which means running a trade surplus. Uh, so we'd have to suppress domestic demand. So that means getting people in Scotland to buy less uh, in order to free up um, uh, money by having an export surplus. Uh, so that's, that's going to be very, that would be very unpleasant for people in Scotland. So let's move on to, the, to the, the motion that you just had passed at the, the conference. Can you tell us precisely what that motion covered and tell us a bit about the story about how you how you came from your 2019 motion up to this point? Well, it's one of the rules of the, of the SNP conference that uh, you can't just rehash uh, the same thing as you have already done. Um, so, you know, we already got a motion approved in 2019, which supposedly set the currency policy, despite, as you say, the leadership completely ignoring that. We, but we can't just go back with the same motion and say, look, you know, we're going to pass it again because you ignored it last time. Um, so you have to sort of move things on and come up with something a bit new that uh, uh, develops the policy. Uh, and so I thought the logical thing to do was to say, right, well, last time the motion said we need to start, you know, be ready to start the preparations the day after a vote for independence. So let's start specifying what those preparations are. Uh, and one of them would be to have a bill ready to introduce into Holyrood uh, that would be the legislation to establish the Scottish Reserve Bank. So that's really, that's really what we set out to do, to, to uh, require the SNP to start drafting that bill uh, so that it's sitting there on the shelf, ready to, uh, you know, the day after the vote to be put onto the agenda for the, the Scottish Parliament. Why do we need this now? One of the, the, the questions that I'm often asked when, I, when I'm talking about, especially post-independence policy, is why do we need to be thinking about this now on the other side of the, the independence referendum? Can't this wait, just wait until after independence? Uh, no, because you know, then you'd be spending six months, a year or whatever, while some committee of civil servants start thinking about what, the, what you need in the legislation and so on. That's half your transition period wasted. Um, so uh, then you're not ready to introduce the currency. So you're going to spend the first couple of years of independence uh, in an extremely exposed and precarious position. As I say, always groveling to the markets and worrying about a sterling crisis. 
so no, you need to be prepared. And uh, uh, one of my disappointments is that um, uh, the the SNP at the moment, well, Mike Russell's supposed independence unit, um, all it's doing is telling the SNP members that they haven't done enough campaigning and we need to go out and campaign more until we've got the you know, opinion polls up to 60%. Well, there's no point campaigning more. We need to be able to answer the questions that the voters have. And, you know, everyone knows the voters have got questions. There's really four questions that have to be answered uh, now before we can, even, we can start a referendum campaign. One of those questions is, what are you doing about the currency issue? The answer to that very simply is we're going to have our own. The next one is, what about Europe? And the answer to that has to be to get into the Norway position, rejoining the signal market uh, as of Independence Day. You know, the, the wishful thinking of the First Minister that we can just rejoin the EU straight away uh, is exactly that. It's wishful thinking. It's not going to happen. Couldn't be achieved in anything less than four years after Independence Day. So EFTA and the EEA is the answer to the Europe question. Pensions, the answer to that is that Scotland would take over the state pension. It would become the Scottish Universal Pension. And SNP policy is to try to increase that to the European average. And the border, well, the border with England is going to be exactly the same as whatever the border is between England and Northern Ireland. Unfortunately, unlike 2014, there is going to be a hard border, not in the sense that we need visas or anything like that, because the common travel area still applies. But there is going to be issues about goods uh, going backwards and forwards over that border. So that's the, you know, so the, the SNP really just has to, the first minister basically has to say those are the answers uh, and that that's what they're not doing. And the opinion polls will not move uh, until those questions are answered. Yeah, and the border question um, specifically is one that, that, that we've talked about on this podcast. Um, I, I spoke to the, the late Bill Austin, who was a, one of Scotland's foremost experts on, on customs and borders. Um, and I'll link to his show uh, in the description of this podcast. I think that's highly recommended for anyone who has faced this question out there in the political world. Um, so on your motion when it came to the floor, um, did you get much in the way of pushback or arguments against uh, or reasons why this, this motion shouldn't be passed? No, I was a bit surprised about that. It was actually absolutely nothing at all. It's unusual for a debate. <laughs> Well, partly because it's, 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 it was on hopping, but uh, I don't, I mean, the um, business convener didn't take any, any, any speakers to speak against it, whether that means there weren't any, uh, or she just didn't take them, I don't know. But uh, uh, the conference itself was not particularly well attended, and I have the feeling that most of the MPs, MSPs and councillors, or what, what's known as the payroll vote, because they're supposed to do what they're told, uh, I think most of them were not there. So how, what has the reaction been uh, in the wake of the passing? I, I do know that you've you managed to achieve uh, a fair bit of news coverage uh, off the back of the vote. But have you had, a, had much reaction either from the party or from the wider body politic? Well, the reaction from the spokesperson for the First Minister was that it changes nothing and the policy remains to use sterling until such time as we decide otherwise. Uh, so that's the same reaction as April 2019. Um, I think... Beyond the SNP leadership, I think the, the reaction from SNP members, uh, yes, movement, people and so on, uh, has been extremely positive. So finally, somebody's actually talking sense and moving things on. If the, if the SNP have um, 
signal that this changes nothing. I take it that that means they haven't yet committed to following the the member's instruction and and, and to start working on the central bank. Hmm. So... (laughs) Well, Tim, just as we come to the end of the, the, the show, what, what's next for you? Where's, where's, where's your next step in the currency campaign? Well, we're looking at, um, we've already done a fair amount of work on the central bank. Um, there is about a year's worth of work in terms of um, you know, technical stuff. So uh, the, the, the Reserve Bank would have to uh, award contracts for the provision of um, IT networks, uh, the design of um, payments network and things like that. Um, the estimates I've got is t- it takes about a year or so, a year to 18 months uh, to the, get to the point where everything is designed and specified. You've got the tender documents all ready to issue. Uh, that can all be done now and it doesn't require the SNP or the Scottish government to give permission. So it does mean we have to raise some money, uh, probably about half a million or so uh, from uh, donations, the Yes Movement or something like that. Uh, but we can we can actually do that work um, uh, at this stage and just put it on the shelf uh, until such time as a referendum takes place. Beyond that, uh, there are other things that I tend to do within the SNP. So we'll be back again at the next conference, which supposedly, well, it's, if it follows the normal timetable, it's supposed to be the spring conference, so April. Um, and I'm with, I haven't decided what to do yet, but uh, uh, perhaps we should have a resolution about um, requiring the Scottish government to have a national competition to design the banknotes. Well, Tim, if any of that uh, starts to starts to get moving, I'd love to get you back on the podcast to to talk about it at, um, when it when it's ready. Oh, so, well, thank you for asking me. Um, well, thank you again, Tim. That's been a fascinating conversation, um, and, and I hope folk have. have got quite a lot out of it um, just to end the show as I always do by reminding folk that Commonweal is entirely funded by our supporters um, with an average donation of £10 a month we don't get government money we don't have corporate sponsors we don't have adverts on our website uh, we don't have the ability to print money like governments do um, all we have as uh, the generosity of our donors and folk who visit our shop and buy our merchandise. And I'm pleased to announce that uh, our Christmas shop is just opening this week and we're going to have some, some brand new merchandise in there, um, new books, new t-shirts and uh, hoodies and other interesting Commonweal things. So I hope folk can have a look there. Um, and next week, I will be back with a very special project, one of my own projects that has been boiling away for the past several years. But I hope you will come back and hear about it next week.